if you need a lesson, uh, they're on the back, uh, the back queue. Um, somewhere, I have lost the announcements for tonight. They, I looked to see if they were included in the uh, uh, lessons that I maybe put it on the back. So, but so. Yes, yes. Okay. Is there anybody else that we need to remember in our prayer? Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for the blessings of life. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come and study a portion of the Word and be with us that we might apply it to our lives. We ask you to be with Ethan as, uh, and his problem this afternoon. And be with him and his family and the doctors that be with him. Forgive us for our sins in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to, tonight, we'll get into some of the more controversial issues, some more of the controversial um, symbols. I think that uh, chapters 4 and 5 are probably the two key chapters of the whole book uh, through these chapters, it talks about the suffering of Christians um, and how God was still on His throne. And we'll get into the, uh, uh, the vision of John going to heaven. The very first question that I ask you is, what do premillennialists believe that chapters 4 and 5 foretell? And we're going to look specifically at verse 10. And then we'll, we'll come back to verse 10 a little bit later, but I wanted to start off with the premillennialist and how <clears throat> you can take a passage and actually pull it out of context uh, so look at uh, look at verse four and verse ten. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord. I don't see anything in here that would give anyone an idea that there would be a thousand year reign, but that's where the premillennialists begin, is right here. And they talk about the rapture in the air, and by the seven, followed by 
seven years of tribulation. And in connection with this, some premillennialists teach that the seven churches represent seven periods of the church and that uh, the church at Laodicean was the final stage. And they teach that after these things means after all seven periods of which the church were finished. So that's a little bit of how... Um, sorry about that, but that's a little bit how the premillennialist uh, begin their uh, talking about the the thousand year reign. Any questions about that? In chapter four, <clears throat> we see that uh, John uh, goes into a vision. And verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened into heaven, and the voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in, in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that set was to look upon like jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight, uh, likened to an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads a gold crown, crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunder and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I'm not sure. I, it's my totally my opinion, but this vision where John says, you know, it says, Come hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And I was, immediately, I was in the Spirit. I'm not, it's my opinion that he didn't actually go from a human to a spirit. I think this is more of a dream, the vision that he saw. Just as Jacob uh, when he dreamed about the ladder that was going up in, uh, into heaven. I can't see where you would take an actual physical man, put him into a spirit, and put him in heaven, and then come back. Yes. Right. How is it different from some of the other writings? Right. That's why I, I, that's why I say he's more of a dream state. 
That's and here again, that's my opinion. I'm sorry. I think so. That's 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 the way I look at it. That he would not physically physically go to heaven, see all this, and then come back to earth. I can't. Huh? Yes. And I, you know. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> but this is, you know, I. After this, I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven. So that kind of leads me to believe like Stephen, when he was being stoned, you know, the heavens opened and he saw um, Christ on the right-hand side of, of, of God. Jacob, how he, you know, had a dream of the ladder going up into heaven, you know. I just don't think that, um, and here again, it, it's my opinion. Anybody else have an opinion? Yes. Right. Uh, what Tom says is that John is probably like how Paul was when he was taken up into the third heaven. So. So what's the significance about the behold the throne was set in heaven and one set on the throne? Who's the one that sat on the throne? God Himself? Okay. What what things must take place after? Where we're looking at um, verse, verse 1. I will show thee things which must be hereafter. What do you think he's talking about here? Is this the actual... Is this the actual persecutions and things to come? Is it the, the judgment day? Okay. All the above. Sorry. Okay. And I think that's what confuses us some about uh, Revelation is... You know, we see the the importance here in chapter 4 that it's talking about that God is the creator. We have the throne room of God. John lifted his eyes, uh, lift your eyes to heaven. And we see as we go through this that God controls the universe. Uh, God is central in our lives, and he should be at all times. God is on the throne, and then we see the 24 elders that are, that are there clothed in white raiment. 
and they had on their heads crowns of gold. What's the significance of the 24 elders? What's the significance of 24? <laughs> okay, I agree with the apostles, but the patriarchs, I think this is the 12 tribes of, Ju- of Judah, of Israel, excuse me. And I, I think that's what's represented here. It's because you have, you have the, the Jewish law, you have, uh, you know, the the <clears throat> the Hebrew nation was was kept in place so that the Messiah could come through the tribe of Judah and through the lineage of David, and so I I think that it is tw- twelve of it represents the Old Testament and twelve represents the New Testament as far as the apostles go. What about Jasper? What what do you know about Jasper in the Bible? Okay. Jasper was one of the 12 stones that was on the breastplate of the uh, high priest, the priest, and just as um, uh, Sardis was, the Sardis stone, that was one, and also the emerald. So those all had something to do with the priesthood and uh, being, uh, at that time, being precious stones to them. So let's look now at Okay, there's there's what I'm sorry. Uh, Ezekiel 28:13 uh, is found in the breastplate of the high priest, and then in Revelation 21 we will see that it is uh, found in the foundation of the New Jerusalem. And Sardis is uh, Sardis stone, uh, better known in our day today as Carmelian, which is red, and it was a sixth stone in the foundation of the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. And here's where the 24 elders, that I believe that uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let's look at verse 6 through 11. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast was like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each had of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. 
And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him that sit on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O God, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. I think that the King James says for living beast, most transla- uh, translations now call it the four living creatures. And I think that you would um, I think it's easier to explain creature as beast because you're looking at a calf, the face of a man and an eagle, and we don't consider them beast, right? These living creatures uh, call John's attention to the effects of the lamb loosening of the first four seals. And we'll get into the seals later, but and it also starts us to look at the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse as they ride forth. What's the significance full of eyes within? And they rest not day and night. What does that remind us of? When we get to heaven, what's the one thing that we we hear about most often? There's no night there. Okay? And that you are in heaven. We're there to praise God. The angels are there. Praise God. I'm sorry? No tears? In chapter 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for all Thy pleasure are and they were created. So, where did that come from? As a, as a human being, where did we come from? Created in the image of God? Why am I here? Why am I on earth? To serve God. Okay? And if I serve God, where am I going? Okay? Our opportunity to go to heaven if we serve. So I think that that's what we have to look at in this verse is that my pleasure they are and we were created for, for God's pleasure. Any argument against that? I 
Any opinion against that? I'm sorry, I'm so dry tonight. <clears throat> okay, let's go to chapter 5. There's three sections in, in chapter 5, and the first one is verses 1 through 5. It is who is worthy. And then the question is answered in verses 5 through 6. And then verses 11 through 14 is praise to the Lamb. So let's look at the first five verses. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the, uh, neither under the earth, were able to open the book, neither to look upon thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. I'm not sure why they actually call it a book. Uh, It was more of a scroll that was rolled up. And it was written, um, two things to note is it was written on both sides. And it was sealed with seven seals. The fact that the scroll was written on both sides and sealed seven times may indicate the finality of the revelation. That this is the last part of the revelation that's coming. And that if no one can open the book, we're not going to have the rest of Revelation. What's the significance of the seven seals? In biblical times, what does seven mean? Perfect. Okay. So I think that with seven seals there, that it's saying this is a perfect book or scroll. And I think it's interesting to note that it was written on both sides. Uh, because when you roll it up, you should be able to read a little bit of, of the outside of it. So, the purpose of the seal, it verifies ownership, uh, it assures genuineness, and it protected the contents. The emperors, the upper class Romans, you know, they had a seal, they had a a signet ring that when they sealed a document, they would put their imprint on that seal. And then whoever received it could tell whether it had been broken or not before they actually got to it. Here again we see 
the continuous, we have the seven churches, we have the seven um, candlesticks, the seven spirits, and now we have the seven seals. Excuse me? Seven hills? Seven hills, okay. I think it's significant here that John was in the Spirit. Whether he was physically in heaven or not really doesn't matter, but he began to weep because no one in heaven, in earth, or under the earth could break the seals. If we look at in heaven, who are we talking about? Sorry? Jesus. But the ones that couldn't break the seal would be the angels. In earth or on earth are human beings. And then I think it's significant because it says under the earth. And you're looking at this time that, you know, who's who died and was buried. You're looking at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, the prophets, some of the apostles, and none of them could break the seal. But it says that one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. Why is he called the lion that is from the tribe of Judah? Lion was probably the the most feared animal in the Old Testament. The lion, yes. Go. In Philippians two, ten and eleven, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess the, that, Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord and to the glory of God and the Father. So here again we see the significance of um, every knee shall bow, uh, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. It's just explaining that everyone, will bow to Jesus. Why Jacob's son, uh, Judah, uh, was chosen to have the ruler's dignity? If you look at and go back through the sons, the 
first few sons of Jacob sinned. And so Judah was the one that the that the line was chosen to come from. And we read about that in the Old Testament that because of Judah not sinning with the other brothers at that time, he was given the... And what's the significant about the root of David? Yes. To David? Okay. I'm sorry? The lineage of Christ goes through David? Okay. Let's look at verses 6 through 10. Then I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou, hast, thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Here's another verse, verse 10, that gives ammunition for the premillennialist. That it says, um, and we shall reign on the earth. We see that um, <coughs> in verse 8, prayers of the saints. Um, saints is another designation for Christians. Now, some use the term saint for all Christians. So I ask the question, can it, can it also mean weak and sinful Christians? Why not? I'm sorry? Okay. Okay. So I'm of the opinion that it can be used for anyone in a significance that it's just as if you're called a Christian what tells you that you know you're a weak or sinful Christian we've all come so yes All creatures. 
as Christians, <clears throat> we reign in four ways. We are the kingdom of Christ, which is the church. And since God is our Father, we are part of the royal family. And since we are in Christ, we share His reign. And since we have been saved, death no longer reigns over us. What do you think? Sorry? Okay. Does the word reign here mean the same as a king that would reign over a kingdom? And here's where you have to be careful with the way this is. We have, who's in control of ourselves? We are. We're able to make the decisions that we can obey God, obey Christ, obey the the commandments of the New Testament. We can worship the correct way, or we can choose not to. So I think that if you say that since we are in Christ, we share His reign, we can share His reign because of our belief in Him. Yes, get up. Yes. Yeah. And here again in verse 10, we shall reign on earth. And from the standpoint of Christians of John's days, this probably referred primarily to the victory. The victory of what? Victory over persecution. The Christians of the first century were being persecuted, and you know if you if you hear in and we shall reign on the earth, and we know that Christians reign four different ways through Christ and because of God and everything that it gives us hope that we can have primary victory. Okay, let's look at 11 through 14. Yes. Okay. Okay. Just as, um, you know, David played the harp and sing songs to God using the harp and everything. So, um, most definitely, yeah. And if if he sang with it, the. In, in verse 8, where it says they 
sing with harps. That gives ammunition that we can have music in to worship. But you have to realize this verse, is it talking about earth or is it talking about heaven? See, yeah, it's talking about heaven. And there's where you can't take things out of context as we go through here. Because if we if we said it was on earth, it'd be a totally different I'm sorry? Right? Now the vials of of full odors um you're on your own there. I'm sorry. Uh, be incense, I guess. Something like that. Um, I'm sorry? I think that... Um, <laughs> I think... Yes. And, and I think that uh, all things are, are uh, possible if, when you get to heaven. But... Uh, so, <laughs> okay, <laughs> verse eleven. And I <clears throat> and I beheld and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, "Worthy is the Lamb." that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, such as in the sea and all that are in them, heard I say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. We we talk in verse uh, 12. The Lamb was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. We can look at the strength, which is, we, we have a definition of might. We think of somebody such as Samson and his strength. But then when we look at power, we look at control, authority, or influence of others. So I think this is where we need to make a distinction between power and strength. What is, in verse 11, And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. What is that? Is that an actual number that's in heaven? 
Okay, more than you can count, more than I can count, yes. Here again, it comes back to a symbol. It's just a, uh, an apocalyptic phrase that just says more than what we can count, more than what we have. And here again we see in verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth. And, and this time it shows, it tells us even those in the sea will bow down. Where, where does he that liveth forever and ever, where have we heard that from? Isn't that something taught throughout the whole New Testament? That Jesus is going to live forever and ever? And isn't that our hope that we have as a Christian? That we will go to heaven and live forever and ever? No tears. No night. So... So that is chapter 4 and 5. So is the, the Lamb worthy? Is the Lamb worthy? Okay. He was spotless. He was without sin. And that was, and He was the sacrifice of, of all times. Any questions so far? Any comments? Agreements? Disagreements? Exactly. Exactly. Right. One of the things that bothers me about premillennialism. And this is just me being sarcastic. Why would Christ want to come back? He lived 33 years on earth. Why would He want to come back on earth and reign for a thousand years when He's got everything that He, you know, heaven is... Yes, Ernest? Okay, sure. And, and that's why I say that, you know, I, I kind of answer, you know, a premillennialist with a little bit of sarcasm of why would he want to come back? You know, I understand that, you know, the, uh, the judgment and everything, and I understand that we go through trials and tribulations and persecutions, but I, I just cannot cannot wrap around a thousand-year reign on earth. And we'll get into that later. But since they, uh, part of the premillennialists use 
these two chapters and part of the verses as as some of their ammunition. So. Right. <clears throat> but see, the premillennialists believe that it'll be destroyed at the end of his thousand year reign. Yes. So when's the rapture? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's why when when we look at Revelation, I think that you have to look at Revelation and compare it to other New Testament teachings of what the apostles write in their letters to their churches and make sure that there is no um, difference between the two of them. So what what do you think is the significance of the four living creatures? How does that fit in with the 20 and 4 elders? You have a lion, a calf, face of a man, and an eagle. So the lion shows strength. The calf is kind of like a sheep. Then you have man, and you have an eagle. You kind of have a little bit of everything. So I think that that's where that goes. All creation. Okay. Okay. If there's nothing else, I'll let you go a little early. Thank you all. Okay.